All right, let's turn over to Mark chapter 11. We've been teaching on the authority of the believer. And if you've missed any of this teaching, I encourage you to please get the CDs and DVDs. We've had the pre three previous services are already duplicated. This morning's service will be available within five minutes of the end of this service. We've also got a brand new book on the authority of the believer coming out. And we have a pre-order form out there if any of you would like to pre-order it. I'll be teaching on this in the month of April. And so if you were to go ahead and pre-order it now, you'd have that book and study guide when I'm teaching it on television. And um, anyway, it's just, this is an essential truth that you need to get. Last night I had a, I had a woman come up to me this morning and said that last night she had all of these truths like little bits and pieces around here. And last night it just connected all of the dots. It was like a puzzle that came together and she said it had just changed her life. And I really believe that this teaching is one of the areas that there is a lot of misunderstanding. And because of that, we aren't seeing the blessing and the abundance that God desires because we are waiting on God to do what He says He's already done and He gave us the authority to do. We are waiting on God to heal, to bless, to prosper. And the truth is He's already done all of those things. We've already been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. God's already done it. And now we have to take that authority and stand here and enforce and release what God has done. That's what we've been talking about. And I tell you, that is really powerful. Here is an example of this in Mark chapter 11. And this is where Jesus, this is the very last week of his physical life here on the earth before his crucifixion. He was going into the city of Jerusalem. And it says in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, I mean, seeing, yeah, seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might uh, find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Well, this is an amazing thing. You know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I have every time I minister on this, somebody says, why would Jesus get angry at this fig tree? It says specifically that the time for figs wasn't yet. So why was he upset with it? You got to remember that Jesus is the creator. He created fig trees. He commanded fig trees to produce figs at the same time they produce leaves. If the fig tree had leaves, it wasn't time for it yet, but if it had leaves, then it should have had figs. This fig tree was a pervert. It was a hypocrite. He commanded it and told it how to operate, and this fig tree was operating differently than what Jesus commanded fig trees to operate. And so as creator, he had every right to do what he did. And he turned around and just told this fig tree. He didn't touch it. He didn't throw salt on it. He didn't do anything physical. He just spoke to it and said, No man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And it says that his disciples heard it. And so he went into the temple. He cast out the money changers. This is the second time he did that in his ministry. He did it the very first of his ministry. He did it here at the end of his ministry. And then it says uh, in verse 19, And when the even was come, he went out of the city apparently he probably took the same route that he took in the morning and he went back to Bethany. In verse 20, and in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. 
Now, if you read this same passage, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 21, but Matthew's account of this same thing says that when Jesus spoke to the fig tree, anon it died, or that's the old English word for immediately it died. Matthew says it died immediately. In Mark's account, they walked back the same way that evening, didn't notice it. It was the next day. It was 24 hours later that they saw that the fig tree was dried up. So which was it? Did it happen immediately or did it happen 24 hours later? It's both. It's both because it says right here that they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. What happened was the moment that Jesus spoke to the fig tree, instantly it was dead, but it died in the roots. And it took about 24 hours for the death that was in the roots to manifest itself in the leaves and in the stems of the plant. You know, if you cut a rose off, the thing looks like it's alive at first, but it withers. The moment you sever it from that uh, rest of the plant, it's dead and it's just a matter of time. You can put it in water and put sugar in there and prolong it and make it look better for a while, but it's dead the moment that it's cut. And that tree was dead the moment that Jesus spoke to it, but it took about 24 hours for what Jesus had done to manifest. Boy, there's some great parallels. That's not my point here today, but that is a great lesson that, see, when you believe for something, the moment you believe, you have to believe that you receive when you pray. That's what Mark eleven twenty four says. You have to believe you receive when you pray, not when you see it, but when you pray, and then you shall, future tense, have it. But the moment you pray, God did it, but it may take 24 hours or 48 hours or a week before what God has done becomes visible in your body. You know, when you pray for healing, you could pray for a healing of cancer and you could curse cancer and command cancer to die and cancer could be dead at that moment. But it's going to take a while for your body to recover from the effects of cancer and for your body to repair itself. And a person who doesn't understand this and just immediately thinks that their strength should be full strength and they think that immediately everything should be 100% normal and they don't understand this, they could sit there and look at their body or go get a test and because the test didn't reflect what you were praying for, then you get into unbelief and you stop the whole thing. But you know, if a doctor gave you some kind of a shot and said, this kills cancer, I guarantee you it'd take a while for your body to recover. If cancer was totally dead, it'd take a while for your body to recover and regain its strength and and get your appetite back and and gain your weight. If you've lost weight, it's going to take a while. God's not going to instantly put 30 pounds on you. Praise God. It takes a while for your body to recover and people don't understand this and so they just pray and if they can't instantly see a manifestation of what God has done, then immediately they get into unbelief and they stop the power of God. Even though it was working on the root of the problem, the thing is over, you just didn't stand in faith because you thought, well, if God had done something, it would be total manifestation. That's not the way it works. Here's an example. Jesus spoke. The fig tree was dead instantly, but it took about 24 hours for what Jesus had done to become visible to the sight. Boy, that is powerful truth. And anyway, when his disciples saw it, look at the response. It says in verse 21, Peter calling to remembrance saith unto them, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And we don't have the benefit of hearing the inflection of his voice, but I don't believe he was saying... Master, the fig tree that you cursed is withered away. I believe that he was shocked. I believe he was just overwhelmed like, Jesus, 
Look at this fig tree. You talked to it. You didn't touch it. You didn't do anything. And this fig tree is withered away without you ever touching it. He was overwhelmed. And I don't believe we have the benefit of knowing how Jesus said things. In verse 22, I don't believe he said, have faith in God. (laughs) I believe Jesus was like, guys, when are you going to start believing? Have faith in God. Don't you understand what faith will do? They were shocked at Jesus' power. He was shocked at their unbelief. Why would you expect anything less? He said, I cursed it. I said, no man would ever eat fruit of that tree forever. Why would they expect anything less? And then he began to teach his disciples how he did this miracle. And look in verse 23. It says, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain... Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things that he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Jesus here is explaining how he did this. This is a great miracle. You know, sometimes when we read over things, we just read it in the Bible and we don't really think about it. But, you know, if we were, if we walked outside of here and if we walked, we were walking down the sidewalk and I just saw this tree and I said, you're dead. And then tomorrow, that tree is just totally dead. Nobody touched it. I guarantee you that would be impressive. That's what Jesus did. He didn't do anything to it. He just talked to a tree and a tree responded to words. That's a miracle. This is a major miracle. Sometimes we just skip over this, but this is major deal. And he's showing us how do you do things like this? How is it that you take control of your situation and change things? It's by words. Three times in this verse, he said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Three times he mentions words. And brothers and sisters, you know, our society today, we don't believe in words this way. I mentioned this briefly last night, but boy, we just... People lie all of the time. We just went through an election and, you know, you can just nearly... They, they come up with this test to tell if a politician is lying or not. You look them square in the face and if their lips are moving, they're lying. <laughs> I mean, it is just amazing that people just lie. Our news media is lying and deceiving us and just... We become so used to it that, you know what, words don't mean much. There's a lot of people that just turn on a television or a radio to just have noise in the background and don't even think about it. And yet, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Every word that you hear is either ministering life or death. For you to just have something on in the background and not even be tuned into it, You're just releasing death into your home. Most of what you hear, most of it is death. Even on Christian television, there's a tremendous amount of death being spoken. And so you can't just turn on the TV or the radio and let it go. It's producing death. Jesus here is saying that we need to change our attitude. Our society doesn't embrace what Jesus is saying, but that's the reason that most of us don't talk to things and see them respond. 
This isn't the way we do things, but it's the way Jesus did things, and things will still respond if we would do it Jesus' way. He said, speak to the things, and you have to believe that what you say comes to pass. You have to believe that your words come to pass. Now, if if you're just saying all kinds of foolish things, and if you aren't a person of integrity, if you will promise people stuff, like I know some of you are going to think this is insignificant, but again, if you can't do that which is least... You can't do that which is greatest. If you aren't faithful in that which is least, you won't be faithful in the greatest. There are some of you that tell people that you'll be at a place at 7 o'clock and you leave home at 7 o'clock. You don't fulfill your words. You don't do what you say. Church starts at 10 o'clock and you're doing good to get there by 10.30. And that's just the way that you do things. You say all kinds of things. You promise people this and that, but you don't hold up your word. You know, when I pastored a church, I never had a big church, by the way, (laughs) because of things like this. But when I pastored, when I pastored a church, I told people, I said, being late's ungodly. The word ungodly means not like God. Ungodlike. And so I said, if you say you're coming over to my house to eat at 7 o'clock, I should be able to have the food on the table and ready to sit down because you told me you'd be there at 7. If you aren't there by 7, you're ungodly. And so we told people that. And you know what? If people came in late, we'd welcome and say, come in, you're ungodly, but we love you. I think the largest church I ever had was 100. But it's true. And you know, it got to the place that in our church, we didn't have very many people. But when you invited somebody over, you could count on it. You could have the food on the table because they would be there because they held their word. And you would be surprised how that changed relationships. That if a person said they were going to do something, they would do it. There was no such thing as a person saying, oh yeah, I'll do this. And then they never follow through. The truth is most of us are unfaithful in our words. We say and promise things. We, we tell people, you know, they come up and say, does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> oh no, you just are beautiful. And then you go away and tell your wife, man, she really does look fat. <laughs> you know what that is? It's lying. Now, you can, you can use a little bit of tact. I mean, you might sit there and... Like I had a woman... I was preaching on this not long ago and a woman came up and says, does this make me look bad? And I said, you don't want to hear what I've got to say. I just what I... I didn't tell her she was fat. I just said, you don't want to hear what I've got to say. But I didn't lie to her. You know what? We'll sit there and lie to people and... Some of you think that this is insignificant. That's not important. Again, if you can't do that which is least, if you don't get to a place that you speak the truth, then you know what? When you go to saying to your body, you're healed in the name of Jesus, your body will doubt what you say because you say all kinds of things that you don't mean. You know, I read a book entitled, uh, Who Switched Off My Brain? My medical doctor. And this medical doctor, I didn't read the whole thing. I read about half of it or something, so I don't know. But in the part that I read, she never mentioned the Lord. It wasn't a Christian book. Later, I've seen her on some Christian programs, so I believe that she is a 
a Christian. But anyway, she was just doing things from a medical standpoint, and she was showing, she had diagrams of your brain cells, and she went into all these things. But here's the long and the short of it, is that she said that your brain is in touch with every cell in your body billions of times per day. There is constant communication going on between your thoughts and your body. And each cell in your body has what she called receptors. And these receptors have like a combination on it that keeps out radical cells. Cancer is nothing but cell. Everybody has cancer cells, radical cells in their body, but your cells have a combination that doesn't let these radical cells into your other cells. But if you get what this doctor was calling toxic thoughts, if you get depressed, bitter, angry, things like that, then that communicates with your cells and it changes the combination and allows these radical cells to penetrate and get into your cells and that's how cancer starts growing. Everybody has cancer cells, but not everybody has cancer cells killing them because their body is able to reject it and and deal with it. And she said that it's your thoughts that are communicating. And so here's my point is that if all that be true, which is basically what the scripture is saying, that you know what? If you get negative in your thoughts, if you don't believe that your words are coming to pass because 99% of your words are things that you don't mean, you didn't, you aren't going to follow through, you tell people you'll be there at 7, you get there at 7.10, it just doesn't matter. Words aren't important to you. You have communicated that to every cell in your body. And so when you say, cancer be dead, pain be gone, Your body thinks, what's wrong? What's different from these words and any other words? It doesn't believe it. And so you don't believe it. You don't trust those words. All the other words you say mean nothing. There's people that get mad and say things and then they come back, oh, I didn't mean it and just exit out. You know, you can't take words back like that. Every word that you speak is either life or death. You need to get to where you don't say anything you don't mean and you mean what you say. We need to get to where when we tell somebody something, we tell them the truth. And if you can't say something good, you don't have to say something bad, but at least keep your mouth shut. Don't speak something that is contrary to what you believe. You have to believe that the words you speak come to pass. And you can't do that listening to things. Like I used examples last night of how we've been told about the bird flu, the avian flu killing one-third of the world population, and it didn't come to pass. And so we just go on and forget it. No, that ought to be something that incenses you, that you were lied to. You ought to be able to recognize that most of these predictions about our situation being equal to the Great Depression, it's a lie. You can go on the Internet and find out the statistics. It's a lie. It's not the truth. There's a difference between 50% mortgage foreclosures and 4.5% or 5% that we're in today. That's not the same as the Great Depression. There's a difference between 25% unemployment and 7.2% unemployment. There's a difference between 3,000 banks failing and 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 banks failing. It's not the Great Depression. It's a lie. And if you don't sit there and judge this and straighten things out and get to where you start speaking the truth and rejecting lies, then when it comes time to speak to your body and command cancer to die and your body to be well, your body is going to say, "What's?" it doesn't believe words. It doesn't believe your words. You've trained it. Every cell in your body knows that you don't mean what you say. Down on a cellular level, 
Your body knows whether or not you believe the words that you speak. That's what Jesus is saying here. You have to say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and not doubt in your heart, but believe that the words you speak come to pass. And brothers and sisters, this is one of the reasons we aren't seeing greater manifestation because most of us don't believe our words. You don't even hold yourself accountable to it. Somebody comes up to you and says, well, you said this. Well, I, I didn't mean it. Shame on you. It's quiet in here. I know some of you think this is just weird. Some of you think I'm weird. You know what? I think you're weird. This is the way that the Bible says. This is Jesus. This is our Savior. This is the one who had the greatest example of anybody. There's no greater example than this. He's telling you how it worked. You have to believe in the power of your words. Jesus didn't goof around. Jesus didn't say things that he didn't mean. He didn't tell people that, oh, that, you look wonderful in that robe when the truth was they looked ugly. <laughs> Jesus didn't say things that he didn't mean. Amen. You got to get, we need to be like Jesus. Instead of trying to make him like us, we ought to become like him. And if this makes you counterculture, let, let it be counterculture. Most people aren't getting this results. And it's because we've become like our culture. We ought to change. Most people would love to have these kind of results. But they don't want to do this. They don't want to do something that's going to make them stand out from everybody else. They don't want to sit there and always tell the truth and be on time and do what they say and uphold their word. The Bible says that a godly man will swear to his own hurt and not change. Even if you said something that was wrong, you'll go ahead and do it because of your word. You won't violate your word. It used to be that you could just give a person your word or shake a hand and man, your word was as good as contract. Now... You can put it in writing and if you have a good lawyer, it doesn't mean anything. Nobody holds himself to their word. That's wrong. Something's wrong with this. We need to be like this. He's, he's putting the emphasis on your words. You've got to get to where you say what you mean. You mean what you say. You never violate it. And if you train yourself over and over and over, then when cancer comes and you say, cancer, you're dead. Body, you're healed in the name of Jesus. Pain, I command you to leave. Your body will respond because you've taught it to believe the words that you speak. If you don't do that, you can't just be going this direction with the world and then all of a sudden in one instance turn and go the other direction. Most of us are living a life completely inconsistent and you know what? You, you think, well, man, I just goof off. I say all kinds of things I don't mean. And it doesn't matter. No, death and life. Not death and life and a whole bunch of gray stuff that doesn't matter. It's either, every word is either life or it's death. It says in Matthew chapter 12, I think it's around verse 35, somewhere in there, it says, every idle word that men speak, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified and by your words you shall be condemned. Every idle word, the word idle means non-productive non-working. Did you know every word that you speak, every word, oh, mercy, every word that you speak 
you're going to give an account thereof. Man, if we believe that, we'd be like David. I think it was Psalms 140 or somewhere. He says, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, when you go into the temple, don't be quick to speak. Don't make rash vows. It's better not to make a vow than it is to make a vow and not pay. I guarantee you, we just say a lot of silly, stupid stuff. And every time you say something that isn't truth, that isn't releasing life, it's communicating to every cell in your body that you know what, you aren't a person of your word, you aren't a man of integrity or woman of integrity, and that words aren't important to you. And then you turn around and try and use your words to receive from God, and your body's confused. You can't believe that. Amen or oh me. And in verse 23, this is another major point. Look at this. He says, whosoever shall say to this mountain, not only is it important that you speak and understand the power of words and get to where you keep your words so that you train yourself that words are true and your body responds to words, but it's important who you speak to. This is amazing. This is so clear in this verse and yet most people miss it. The scripture does not say, whosoever shall speak to God and ask God to move this mountain and not doubt in their heart. You don't speak to God. He said to speak to your mountain. The mountain in this instance is symbolic of your problem. Whoever will speak to whatever your problem is, talk to your problem. Not talk to God about your problem. Talk to your problem about God. That's opposite what most people do. Most people, when they get a report from the doctor, oh God, the doctor says I'm going to die, and they talk to God, would you please heal me? That's opposite what this verse says. Implied in here, if you will sit and think about it, the very fact that you aren't supposed to talk to God, but instead you're supposed to speak to your mountain and command it to be removed and not doubt in your heart, but believe that it'll come to pass. Implied in that is that you believe that God has already done it. He has already provided this power and he's put this power on the inside of you. And this is you taking your authority and you speaking in the name of Jesus through his power and you commanding things to happen. It goes back to that verse I was using in James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have to resist the devil and he flees from you. You have to resist the sickness. You have to resist the depression. You have to resist whatever the mountain is. You have to take the authority. You rebuke it. You speak to it. Don't ask God to do it. God has already provided it. He's already beat the devil. He's healed all of our sicknesses and all of our diseases. And he put the same power that raised Jesus from the dead on the inside of us. And it's up to us to take that power and authority and speak directly to the problem. Not talk to God about it. That's major. Major. And most people don't do that. Again, probably the vast majority of people sitting in this room this morning, when you have something happen, the first thing you do is, oh God, please heal me. And you start petitioning God and you get other people to agree with you because God doesn't love you enough to answer your prayers. But if you could get a hundred people to pray together, you could put enough pressure on God that maybe God would do it for a hundred's sake or something like that. And we go to begging God. And then if you don't see the tree dry up immediately, 
Well, then, God, why didn't you do it? Do you not love me, God? Are you mad at me? Is, is this you punishing me? And we get into all kinds of weird stuff. The Lord told us to speak to the mountain, to take our authority. I think I've already used this verse, but over in the third chapter of the book of Acts, Peter and John were going into the temple and they saw a man who was crippled from his mother's womb and they didn't pray a prayer. They never did ask the Lord to heal this man. They just said, look on us. And he looked at them and they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They didn't ask God to heal him. They said, I have it. I have the healing power of God. Now, it wasn't them. It was God's power, but it was in them. And they said, I have it. And they just spoke and grabbed the man by the hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. And it got results. You know, they'd get kicked out of 99% of churches for standing up and saying, I have the power and the anointing of God. People say, oh, it's not you. It's God. Well, obviously. Obviously, it's not me. But that power is in me. And until you recognize that you have it and until you take that authority and until you start speaking to your problem in the name of Jesus you aren't going to see deliverance. And most Christians aren't taking their authority. They're asking God to do it when the truth is God's already provided it. He's put that power on the inside of you and it's up to you to stand and rebuke and command these things to happen. Man, that's powerful. You know, I go to Charlotte, North Carolina every year, Pastor Dean's church here. And uh, anyway, I was uh, staying with some friends of mine there one time and this woman that uh, in the home that I was staying in, she had watched this video that we had of Nikki Oshinsky, how she was healed. And she was so touched by that. When we got home, she was just sitting in a chair crying. And she said she had never seen anything like that. And she was so thrilled with it. And she said, I've got a friend who has the exact same symptoms and problems that Nikki had and says, could she come over and would you pray for her? And I said, I'd be glad to do it. And she says, good, because she's on her way. She'll be here in 10 minutes. So anyway, this woman came in. It's a very long story. I won't go into all of it, but she was Presbyterian. She felt like God put this sickness on her to teach her something that she had to bear it. It was her lot in life. She also felt like she wasn't the Christian she should be, and so she deserved it and all of these things. She started telling me this stuff, and I started countering all this. I spent 20 or 30 minutes saying, no, God didn't put this on you. God doesn't control that. God doesn't give you what you deserve, or you'd go to hell. It's according to grace and mercy, and I just countered all of this stuff. And for about 25 or 30 minutes, I countered it, and then I told her it was God's will to heal her. She had she had uh, pain. The doctor said that on a scale of 1 to 10, her pain was a constant 11. And she had had pain for like 7 or 8 years. They told her she would be dead 3 years before the time I met her. And the only way she had been able to cope, she had magnets taped all over her body. And then she had a blanket that she wrapped herself in that had magnets sewn into the blanket. And somehow or another, these electrical fields uh, decreased the pain. And so that's the way she'd been surviving. And she was three years past when they said that she would be dead. And so anyway, she was in constant pain, just had terrible pain. So I sat on the coffee table in front of her because she couldn't move and get around and grabbed her hands. And I rebuked all of that pain, commanded it to leave. And instantly she was just pain free. She stood up and took that blanket off and started moving around. And she says, I don't have any pain. 
It was the first time in seven or eight years that she had been pain free. She was instantly set free. And she says, but I've got a burning right here in the back, right where my waist is. Why do I have a burning? I said, I didn't talk the burning. I talked the pain. You didn't tell me you had a burning. So I said, what's this? And I commanded burning to leave and it was gone. And she started praising God. So then I spent about 25 minutes teaching her this exact same verse, the same thing I'm sharing with you. And I said, now Satan will come back and try and steal what God has done. But if you have another pain or a burning, it doesn't mean you lost it. It's just like a knock on the door. Satan can put a pain on you. That doesn't mean you got something. It's just him knocking on the door. Are you going to let him in? And I said, if you respond by saying, oh, no, I wasn't healed, you open the door. If you respond by saying, oh, no, it's back, then you open the door. I said, the thing to do is just do what I've been doing. And you talk. I taught her how to speak directly to the problem and take your authority. And I said, he may knock on the door a couple of times, but if you don't answer it, he'll, he'll move on. It'll be over. So anyway, I spent about 25 minutes teaching this woman this. And as she got ready to leave, she put her hand on the door to open the door. And she just stopped and turned around and looked at me. And she says, the burning's back. And I said, well, I've been teaching you what to do. So I said, I'm not going to pray over it. I want you to pray. And you got to remember, this woman had been a Presbyterian 45 minutes before this. <laughs> and this woman, she got up and she prayed. This is nearly word for word what she said. She said, Father, I thank you that it is your will to heal me. It's your will to heal every time. By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. If I was healed, I am healed. I claim my healing in the name of Jesus. By your stripes, I am healed. It's not a good prayer. That's a bad prayer. Caught you, didn't I? Now, that's not wrong what she said. Those are nice things to say, but that won't get you healed. Well, that's the way I pray. That's the reason you aren't getting healed. That's not what the scripture said. And so I just, I looked at her and I said, so do you still have the burning? And she said, yes, why do I still have the burning? I said, you didn't do what Jesus told you to do. She says, what am I supposed to do? And I said, you talked to him and told him how you believed him and you believed that you were ill, but you did not take your authority and speak to the burning and command it to leave your body. And she says, you mean I'm supposed to say burning in the name of Jesus? And I said, yes. That's what Jesus said to do. And she said, I'll do it. So we joined hands again. And she said, burning in the name of Jesus. And that's as far as she got. And the pain was totally gone. And she says, I'm free. And that's been, I don't know how many years ago. That's been seven years ago or something. And she had a couple of times that she had to take her authority and speak to it. And she's been totally free of that Ever since, it's never been a problem. And I mean, this woman's whole life was destroyed. She couldn't go anywhere. She was completely incapacitated. And yet when she took her authority and spoke, it was broken. And I'm telling you, this, this is not all that there is to it, but this is one of the major keys that you have to understand that Jesus has already done everything about healing you that he's going to do. By his stripes, you were healed, 1 Peter 2, 24. He has paid for the sickness and the disease of the entire world. When Jesus hung on the cross, it says in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, that he was marred, his face was marred. It's either verse 13 or 14, that his face was marred 
worse than any man that has ever walked on the earth. And his form was so bad he didn't even look human. No Roman beating could do that. You know what happened? He took every sickness, every disease, every swelling, every tumor, every deformity that has ever hit the human race entered into the physical body of Jesus on the cross so that he didn't even look like a person. He didn't look like a human. If you saw that movie, The Passion of the Christ, that was a terrible thing that they showed, but he still looked like a brutalized human body. But in reality, Jesus wasn't even recognizable as a human, is what Isaiah 52, 14 says. That's amazing. He took your sickness. He's already paid for it. And the power that it takes for your healing to come to pass has already been placed on the inside of you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 says, according to, he's talking about that your eyes would be open to what you have, according to the same power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. God has already put within you raising from the dead power, the same degree, the same quality, the same quantity of power that he used when he raised Jesus from the dead. It's not out there somewhere. It's on the inside of you. It's at your disposal. It's at your command. And for you to pray and say, oh God, I'm powerless. Would you please heal me? It's an insult to Jesus. It's an absolute statement of unbelief that I don't believe what the word says. I don't believe that you gave me this power. I don't believe I have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I don't believe I can speak to the mountain and it'll be done. That's not what he told us to do. He told us to take our authority and speak to the problem, to believe that God put that power on the inside of us. And brothers and sisters, this is not the way most of us are praying, and that's the reason that we aren't getting the results. We believe God can do it, but yet we're frustrated. And we see people die around us and problems happen and we just can't understand, God, why didn't you do it? God did it. He put the power on the inside of us and we aren't using it. And it's as simple as what I'm saying. But you know what? It does take effort for you to retrain yourself and get to where when you say something, you believe it. And your body, every cell in your body believes it. It takes time to retrain yourself. So what I'm saying is not necessarily easy, but it is this simple. God has already done it. He's placed raising from the dead power on the inside of you. And if you aren't seeing God's power manifest, it's not because God hasn't given. It's because you haven't taken your authority. You haven't trained yourself. You haven't spoken. And it's our failure to appropriate the power of God. It's not God's power that is at question. God is faithful. It's God's will for every single person to be well. It's God's will for every one of you to just have joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's God's will for you to be powerful. You aren't supposed to be pathetic. You're supposed to be powerful. It's not God's will for you to be depressed. Man, joy unspeakable and full of glory. God's done all of these things for us and yet people are going around depressed and discouraged and fearful and... It's wrong. There ought to be a difference between us and people that don't know the Lord. We're alive and they're dead. You ought to be able to tell the difference between a dead person and an alive person. 
And yet many of you, if you were arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict you. You're as sick as your neighbor. You're as poor as your neighbor. You're as fearful about the economy as your neighbor. You're worried about being laid off the same as your neighbor. You're afraid of dying the same as your neighbor. Where's the fruit of it? We need to start walking in what God has provided. It's all been done. It is not God's fault. It's just we aren't using it. And this whole thing I've been teaching on the authority of the believer is one of the areas, one of the major areas that we're missing it in because we just are approaching God as I am nothing. I can do nothing. I'm powerless. Oh, God, here's cancer, who which is huge, and I'm nothing. Man, the Bible says that God laughs at cancer. He laughs in the heaven. It's no big deal. It doesn't take any more power for God to heal cancer than it does a cold. I I often will pray for people and after I pray for them, they say, I've got something else and they want me to pray for that and then they say, I've got something else and finally I just tell them, I say, hey, we can get all of this at one time, amen. (laughs) You know, it's the same power that heals your hangnail is the same power that heals cancer. It doesn't take more power to heal cancer. The problem is it's more unbelief on our part associated with cancer. There's more fear and that's what makes cancer bigger than a cold. But they can actually do more to cure cancer than they can a cold. They can cut out a cancer. They can treat it with chemotherapy or radiation with cancer. With the cold, you basically just mask the symptoms, dry up your nasal passages, but if you take medication, the cold will stay in your body longer. You can't do anything to heal a cold. A cold is actually harder to heal than a cancer. And yet many of you don't have the same fear, see, associated with a cold that you do with cancer, and so therefore you, you get healed of that easier. But it's no big deal with God. We need to be renewing our mind, find out who we are, recognize that, man, we are the winners. You are letting the devil terrorize you, and you shouldn't. We ought to be winning. And let me once again just say that this, what I'm saying is true, but it takes a while to retrain yourself. It takes a while to get these songs out about, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. That's a sorry song. That's a sorry song. One of those verses says, Lord, you know if you're looking below. It's worse now than then. How stupid. How stupid. Oh, but I love the tune. Well, then just sing it and die. Amen. I know that it's a catchy tune and I know that some of you just love as the stomach turns and you record it and watch it all the time and all this stuff. But you know what? It's ministering death to you. You need to, you need to be singing songs like Lamont and Sharon were singing this morning about I'm a friend of God. About man, he'll never let go of me. How great is our God. If you had that running through your mind instead of the junk that most of us have running through our mind, you know what? It would change your whole attitude. Think It'd be ministering life to you. It'd build you up instead of tear you down. Man, this is, this is profound. It's just simple, but it's profound. If we would do this, It's this simple. 
You know what? Some of you may not have understood this before today, but now you've heard it. And you know what? You're accountable. And you have an answer that would change your life if you just put it into practice. Again, most people come to church and they just want somebody to wave their hand over them so that they can go back to laying on the couch and watching all the junk and not do anything. That's not what this service is about. This gave you some information and some knowledge that if you would just live what Jesus was saying right here, it would change your life. You would start seeing miracles. And some of you, it might be too little, too late that you are so far gone that you've only got a day or two to live. You aren't going to be able to retrain your body and your mind in the next 24 hours or 48 hours. And so you have to go and ask somebody else to help you. But don't, you know, if you're in that situation, take advantage of it and let other people help you. We're going to pray for people up here and do things like that. But that is not the way that you're supposed to live. You are supposed to take this word and get to where you can stand on the word and take your authority and see it happen. And instead of you being a person that always has to have somebody else helping them out of their bind, you're supposed to grow and mature to the place that you could help them. That's what we need to do. We need to be raising up some people that will go out and take their authority and take it to the devil. And I guarantee you, you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Isn't that good news? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let me say again that you must be born again. If you try and take what I'm talking about and go to speaking to your problems in only your human power and authority, Satan's going to eat your lunch and pop the bag. You can't do that. You must be born again. You need to have God's power on the inside of you. Amen? So you must be born again. If you have never made Jesus your personal Lord, you need to receive it today. And again, it's the same principle that I was talking about. If you will say with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It's that simple. He's already provided it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to beg. It's provided. Now will you receive it by saying that Jesus is your Lord and believe that in your heart. And then once you get born again, you must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you know, I could, right now, I could spend an hour and a half or two hours talking about how that the Holy Spirit is the only way you will ever be able to operate in this power and convince yourself and be faithful to your word. That is not humanly possible. Humans fail. Humans are fallen beings and you need God's power flowing in you to be able to do this. For you to operate in the things that I'm talking about today and be successful, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes a lot of things, but one of those things is speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it is a tremendous thing. It is total foolishness to the natural mind. It makes no sense. And for you to speak in tongues, you have to move into a realm of faith. Matter of fact, it says in uh, Jude chapter 1 verse 20, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, when you, in the Holy Ghost. When you are praying in tongues, you are building up yourself on your most holy faith. 
It's a way of just getting you to bypass all of the junk and the fear and the doubt that's holding you back. Speaking in tongues is a powerful, powerful thing. If you don't have that, you need it. And I know I'm in the Bible belt. And many of you are good old fundamentalist, and you love God, but you don't want this Holy Spirit stuff. Well, I'm telling you what, you aren't going to be able to operate in what I'm talking about without the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that revealed this to me. It's the Holy Spirit that changed my life. When I started speaking in tongues, it's like somebody switched, uh, turned a switch on the inside of me. Power started working in me. Things started happening. And you, this may not be what you've been taught. This may not be what they teach in your church, but that's the reason I'm not in your church. I'm telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is real. You need the gift of speaking in tongues. So is there anybody here today who would say, I need one or both of those. I either need to make Jesus my Lord and receive salvation and or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to lift your hand. We're going to pray for you. Here's a man, he's already 